Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, and uh, we're going to have, you know, this is Wednesday, so Wednesday means we see what's inside the city paper. But today we're going to have a very special kind of city paper uh, interview uh, looking at a particular article uh, that our colleague and friend Bannon Woods has written on the Tyree Woodson case that he's been investigating for some time now. And, uh, Bay, good to have you with us. Yeah, always good to be here, Mark. So how long have you been on this story? Well, I mean, so the, the he died in police custody in 2014, and it never seemed to make sense at that time. And so, you know, but but a lot happened, uh, you know, as things as things continued to to move forward, a lot of other stuff happened. He died, in fact, just a couple of days before Mike Brown was killed um, in Ferguson. Uh, and so immediately it sort of passed by. But I, I was interested in the case. And so. After that, I started just kind of gathering thread on it and, and talk, calling his mom. It, she, they felt, his mom and his fiance felt really burned, looking for the fiance. They felt really burned by the media when the story first broke. And so they didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, they, uh, so, but it's been about, over a year that I've been working, maybe a year and a half that I've been working pretty, pretty diligently on the story. So, I mean, I remember when this happened. And and um, and I didn't follow it. We mentioned on the air a little bit when it happened, but we didn't really get into it deep too deeply. But it always struck me as very odd. I mean, anytime you hear about somebody who uh, is arrested, <laughs> smuggles a gun uh, after being put into custody, and then commits suicide, it rings sets a lot of alarms off. Um, yeah, I mean, incredulity a little bit. So just, I know that's what happened to you. So talk about that. Yeah, let me give you a little sense and, and the listeners a little sense of just sort of the basics of what happened. So this was August 5th, 2014, and um, he a report started to come out that Harry Woodson, whom they said was a gang member, later Black Gorilla family, they said, um, <clears throat> a gang member and uh, was wanted for attempted murder and was picked up on an attempted murder charge, um, or they expected they were going to charge him with attempted murder. They were actually searching the house. And that he managed to get a gun into the precinct, the southwestern district precinct house, and shoot himself in the bathroom stall um, in the head while, while an officer was in the bathroom with him. And so, yeah, there were a lot of things that didn't make sense about it. Like if he were such a dangerous guy, I mean, they really painted him as a really bad dude. And, you know, if he were such a bad, dangerous guy, how did they not search him in order to, to when they were bringing him in? But they said um, they did search him, right? Well, so, so yeah, they, the officers who picked him up, the Warren Apprehension Task Force officers, said they, they searched him. His fiance said she saw them search him. Um, so, yeah, how did, how did this happen? Um, and if they searched him and he was, was this dangerous, it was a real mystery. And, and so eventually, you know, and, and as the then Deputy Commissioner Jerry Rodriguez said, he said, I'm very grateful that this individual elected to use the weapon on himself and not engage any of our officers or other civilians. I mean, you have this this bad BGF guy in a police station with a gun. Um, and as it, I later discovered with, with these, some of these particular officers having long vendettas or long relations with him uh, that, that weren't cordial in any way and that he turned the gun on himself. You know, even, even Rodriguez was, was remarking on that. And so the story ended up being settled that he snuck the gun in in a medical boot, um, you know, and, and on WBAL, they, they I mean, on, on, yeah, WBAL, they held up a big uh, 
knee-high, almost plastic boot as saying that's what he had because he had recently been shot in the foot, um, which, which is another twist of the story. And so as I was looking into this, I filed a Maryland Public Information Act request to the Baltimore Police Department to get the files on this case. They charged, by the way, $590 for this, which made me think that it was something they didn't want to be giving out. I mean, that's an outrageous wow. sum for public information. Um, and it turned out in the crime scene photos that he was not wearing anything that could be construed as a medical boot whatsoever. It wasn't a knee-high thing. By crime scene, you mean what, what was shot after he allegedly killed himself in the precinct. Yeah, yeah. So they were shot with him laying on the bathroom floor um, in the precinct, and he's wearing a strap-on uh, mesh sandal that's called a, a, a mesh post-op shoe, um, and not a big thing like that at all. So that really got me, <coughs> got me very um, curious about what, even more interested in what could have possibly have happened there. And, and this is one of those stories where almost no scenario that you put forward as to what happened really makes sense. So I put this story out. Really, I mean, the headline is what happened to Tyree Woodson because we're really trying to, um, you know, one of the hopes is that other people may look at some of these documents, which are up online with the story, um, in a document cloud at, at City Paper uh, backslash or slash, I forget which, you call those, but but Tyree Woodson, and you can find a document cloud of the documents that, that I had to pay $590 for now are available to everyone. And see what, uh, try to figure out a little bit better, even people with better knowledge of some technicality maybe that I don't understand that will be able to figure out what happened because it, it still doesn't make sense. And so I the thing that really got me curious though was um, Justin Fenton at The Sun also at some point had filed an MPIA request and had gotten some documents about what had happened, had gotten the report that came out after his death um, about a year later. And in that report, it said that one of the office, the officer who wrote the report had arrested Woodson uh, over a year prior to that in, a in another incident. And so I, I was curious about that and I wanted to go and look at what that incident um, involved. And that was when the case got really interesting to me and really started to, to seem scary and not to make sense um, even further with, with what happened there. And, and his mother had long claimed since it happened that he did not commit suicide and his fiance had long claimed that he did not uh, commit suicide. So his mother being Verdessa McDougald, right? Exactly right. Verdessa McDougald. Um, and so so I went to the courthouse to read what happened. It was the day after Christmas in 2012 that he was arrested. He'd had a long history with being arrested. I, I don't want it to be that I'm also trying to whitewash his life, you know, and, and what I wanted to see is what his life was like. And so his his mother um, went to struggled with drugs when he was young. She went to jail. Um, he has a brother seven years younger than him. They both had issues with, with uh, being incarcerated and going to jail. On He was charged in 2002 with attempted murder and 15 different other counts. It was all null prost, meaning that the prosecutor didn't cho chose not to pursue the charges. Uh, another time that happened again, 
that the prosecutor decided not to pursue charges on a, a fairly serious charges. Other than that, it was mainly drug charges that he had faced and, and one issue with a correctional officer in jail. So 2012, he was in the Southwest District on Christ the day after Christmas and with another guy named Charles Owens. And the police officer who wrote this report, who also wrote the report of the death, was named Dale Mattingly. Um, and Dale Mattingly was a, a DDU, a district detective in the Southwest, Southwestern District, um, which has had a number, a lot of sort of notoriety uh, in, with those sort of, you know, the knockers or the jump out boys, uh, those kind of squads, um, with, you know, most famously with the Gemini Jones rape case, which he was acquitted of, um, but, but the, those officers were accused of planting drugs and all sorts of other things. And um, so one of these units was driving around that day and saw Woodson and another guy named Charles Owens. Um, they say they saw Owens get in Woodson's car. They knew both of them. And so they came to, uh, two officers approached the car. Woodson tried to run them over and going in reverse quickly to get away, went down the road in reverse, turned around, cut through a parking lot of the West Side Shopping Center and got stuck between two cars. And when that happened, Mattingly's car comes up, the police car comes up and blocks him in. And then the report says that Woodson went in reverse repeatedly, smashing into the police car on numerous, it's hard enough and, and often enough that the car was pushed out of the way enough that he could reverse um, and that he could then uh, escape. I mean, astoundingly, in, in several of the cases where police officers in that district had shot people recently, one that, that um, Charles uh, Mushaw, a police officer, recently, uh, Charles Muzon uh, is the guy's last name, they said they shot him because he was trying to run them over, and Muzon has a suit against them because you see in the video he wasn't, he did, the car didn't go towards them, it seems, until after right. he was shot, and his foot came off the brake. So, but Mattingly and the other officers in the car did nothing um, to stop him from bashing into their car. Then they, they let him get away out of the parking lot, but found the car abandoned with a bunch of drugs on the driver's side floor, um, seven heroin gel caps, and they find Woodson and Owens running, they said, and arrest him. He wasn't able to get bail because of these assaulting a police officer. There were a ton of assaulting police officer charges for trying to run them over and also for smashing their car. Uh, so it comes, it's all the way May 2014 before he gets out of jail. I mean, before he goes to trial for this. Um, in the meantime, he got another charge because he was attacked while he was in jail um, by someone and by a bunch of people and then got a knife to protect himself and was caught with that. So he's still going to be facing that charge. But um, so, you know, in, in Maryland, you can go to the court reporter's office and watch any case once it's closed and see the bench conferences that happen when they're playing the white noise, the the private conferences between the attorneys and the judge that jurors aren't allowed to hear and, and the general audience in the courtroom wasn't allowed to hear. So I went to watch the trial to see how I saw that he was acquitted of these charges and I wondered what happened with this case. And, and what I saw there was, was what was really shocking. Um, and so I can go into that, but, but uh, yeah, let me pause and see if you want to, uh, you know, if, if there's anything that might not be clear, because like you said, I've been on this case for a long time, so I may be no, 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 sort of... This is good. So, so let me just you come right back to where you are, but I'm going to take a, a, a little detour here for just a second. So 
I mean, because there's a lot, the, the, there's a lot of questions still unanswered about this this case. Obviously, Even, and, there's, and, you, and there's, there's no way to kind of it probably will never be a way to figure out exactly what happened. But let's take a step back for a moment. Talk a bit about a who Tyree Woodson was, and who Dale Manigley is. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting. Uh, picture of of baltimore in some ways so because you write let me just throw this thing in here because you say here in the beginning of your article you have a great line i mean this is all really well really well done i mean you know you're a good writer so it's, it's easy to enjoy to read a joy is not the right word to use uh his life and death seemed to offer an important look at the way baltimore city works all the ways it can eat up a life and leave the survivors feeling shattered in the aftermath from finish to start the department's investigation of woodson's death woodson's death raises as many questions as it answers. So pick up from there and talk a bit about who these two men were, this Officer Mattingly and, and, and Mr. Tyree Woodson. Yeah, so, so Mattingly is, is, as I said, uh, uh, this was a district detective in the Southwest District. He, um, the last I heard from the department late last year, he was in the process of resigning um, and wasn't on active duty. And so... He's he's leaving the or left the the Baltimore Police Department, but he was a district detective for for some time, and he was one of the people in the last couple of years who the department had to pay out a settlement. They paid a fifty thousand dollar settlement um, against him for allegedly uh, beating up or, or assaulting a thirteen year old kid um, in a. a that he said was walking down the street with a pot plant. He told the kid to come over to him. The kid tried to run to a fence and he assaulted the kid later on. This is all allegedly according to the complaint. Later on, the kid's um, mom called the hospital to have him taken to the hospital. And when, according to the complaint, the detective found out about that, he went over and chained him, handcuffed him to the hospital bed, arrested him. Um, although no charges were later filed, but held him in custody. And this is a little uh, boy we're talking about, a 13-year-old boy. Yeah, a 13-year-old boy. Allegedly for carrying a pot plant, which nobody ever said was there. Right, right. And there's never, ever any evidence presented for or anything like that. Um, so that's – and otherwise, I, I don't know that much about, um, about Detective Mattingly, except that he is one of these – a longtime member of of one of, of a knocker or a jump out boy in, in Baltimore City with quite a lot of of drug arrests um, and a lot of suits know. against him and cost the city a lot of money because of his abusive behavior. Well, I mean th- that's the only suit that I know of that's against him. Is this this, this is that one, one suit? Yeah, the one fifty. That, that's the only settlement. I did talk to several other people who. Um, had alleged complaints against him, um, but had not filed suit with the department. Had had in both cases, they said they didn't have the money to initially deal with filing the suit. Um, and you know that's one of the ways that things work. People get um, uh, abused by officers, and and um, you know without saying that it's true what they told me about his case. But people in in this city, it was clear in the Department of Justice report get abused by officers, but the the time and the money that it takes for them to try to bring a suit often turns out not to be worth that kind of suit. I mean, we saw Abdul Salam won his civil suit after being um, after being allegedly assaulted by 
these same kinds of squads are the same ones that were involved in the death of, of um, Tyrone West. And they, it, it was, what, three or four years after the event happened before he was finally able to even get that to court and took quite a long time. So, um, so there we have, we have Mattingly as sort of a, uh, in this story at least, kind of a representative of the, the knockers and the, the plainclothes police in Baltimore City. Um, and we have Woodson as someone who, you know, was raised by his mother who was struggling with a single mother who was struggling with drugs. She's, she got clean after going to jail, but she did three years in jail in which she started writing poetry and, and, um, became, became religious and is really doing quite well. Uh, but you know, when he was, she acknowledges when he was a child, she had books. I mean, Every picture of him almost as a kid, he's surrounded by books as a young child. He was very, he, people, his nickname was the professor um, because he had to wear these thick glasses and was reading. People really, uh, you know, he's one of these people that I think had it been in different circumstances, could have really done something much different. His life could have turned out much differently. Um, but he he was arrested on his first serious adult charges almost immediately after turning 18. And after that, it was sort of in and out of the correctional system. And his mom said that eight years, once he had started to clean up his act, was working with his uncle, that eight years before he was arrested um, or before he died, that Southwest District officer said, we're going to take you off the street one way or another. Because he had he had, he'd beaten him in these trials, especially this one trial, which really angered a lot of police. And police do get angry when they arrest somebody. They are convinced this person should be in jail either because their case was really loose, like this one, because Madeline could, wouldn't testify. Uh, he, he got out. Uh, and, and so he's allegedly saying he was targeted. Family's saying he was targeted. Well, they're saying he was targeted prior to this. So we'll come back to where I left off in the narrative yeah. to that court yeah. case. But, Go. but they were saying that he was targeted prior to that, that, his, that the targeting had been... As a result, perhaps, as you're saying, and I don't want to, to impute anger as an individual emotion to someone that I, I don't know if they had a, an emotion. Okay, but, right, 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 right. But they wanted to, um, his mom claims that they were targeting him because they thought that they had something on him and he kept beating the charges or whatever. And, and I mean, this is something that's important to note, that actually the story's quite long and didn't make it into the story, but this is the official policy of the Baltimore Police Department under Commissioner Davis with the trigger pullers list. If you believe that someone has done something bad um, and you haven't been able to prove it, that you should try to get them off the street, you know, by any legal means necessary. So any small charge you can you can tie them up on, tie them up on so that and, and Davis's philosophy is also that it, the people who are most likely to kill are also most likely to be killed. And so you could be saving their life as well. So, right. So we, we get Woodson has, and this is a case where the, maybe, if, you know, Woodson is a good example of that as well. So he was arrested right after Christmas 2012, is in jail, is targeted by someone in jail. This is the time, by the way, eight days after or several days after he was arrested was when um, Tavon White was recorded in the, the Baltimore jail saying, this jail belongs to me. This is my jail. So the jail was definitely controlled by BGF. If 
as the police later allege, Woodson was somehow BGF, but on the outs with them. Um, you know, White says in that recording, if anybody who gets punched in the nose, they have to run it by me. So, uh, you know, we could tie the pieces together that there maybe was something that, that he had some outs with that gang as well. So, I mean, this is the, the, the horrible situation that I think so many people in Baltimore feel is that they're trapped between two different gangs, the police and then whatever the other gang in their neighborhood or in the jail or whatever is. And so um, it, it's a really precarious position to be in. So he, I go watch this trial and was just astounded by what I saw there that the prosecutor, Grant McDaniel, who was later, was one of the first people fired by the state's attorney's office when Marilyn Mosby came into office. Right. Um, and he later sued her for being fired without uh, cause. He was the prosecutor and James Rhodes was the defense attorney. And during the case, early on, as they're discussing the plan for the, the testimony and stuff, McDaniel says that Mattingly won't testify because he's moved on. And it isn't really questioned. Um, but as it comes out later that all of the officers who do testify, testify that it, upon Rhodes' cross-examination that they didn't take any notes and they were refreshing their memory about this incident 17 months earlier uh, by Mattingly's, uh, you know, his statement of charges. And so then they, the Rhodes tries to discount their testimony by saying that it's, you know, that we have to get Mattingly in if they're all basing it on his account. And it comes out that Mattingly hadn't moved on at all, but that Mattingly had, in fact, was, uh, they asked, the state's attorney's office asked McDaniel not to testify. I mean, not to have Mattingly testify, sorry, because they have they're doing an integrity investigation on it. So his, his word was not good enough for the witness stand according to the state's attorney's office, in the court, or else they would have to reveal this investigation that was going on. Um, and Woodson beat all of the charges. Without Mattingly's testimony, um, there was no evidence presented that a police car had been smashed up that day, that Woodson's car, which they still have, and in fact had never given back, um, there's no evidence that it was damaged in any way. There was no evidence presented that um, any of those events had happened. And Woodson took the stand himself and said they were all lying, that the charges were entirely fabricated, that he and Owens were going to the store um, to pick up something for his girlfriend who was cooking. And he was, uh, they were pulled over. He didn't know what he was arrested for until he got from central booking. The drugs were planted on him. He, so all of the assault charges were dismissed and the drug charges he was acquitted on and released 17 months being incarcerated, 17 months on charges that he said were fabricated. You know, and that's the thing that we face, that so many, especially black men, and it's, I should be very clear that Woodson is a black man, face in Baltimore City is if you go sit in the reception court any time, waiting for people to get their court dates set, people who are claiming to be innocent, month after month after month, sit in and, and you see that Hicks motions are filed in this case again and again and again, saying that it's beyond the, the um, 180 days that you're allowed by Maryland law to be to wait in jail waiting on a trial. So and he 
Right. One more thing, Mark, and he wasn't given bond or bail because he these charges that were never backed up at all, that no evidence was ever presented for of trying to flee and, and assaulting a police officer, I presume, because they normally will deny bail for that. But the district court said, oh, the recording equipment wasn't working for his bail hearing. So there's no record of the bail hearing. So, you know, this is... Um... What struck me as we conclude this, what strikes me about this article, what it does, I mean, it's emblematic of every, all the problems that we're facing. We have a death of a black man in police custody, Tyree Woodson. Uh, we have an officer who um, is one of those people who, it seems, the state attorney does not want to um, bring to court. As many officers are not, they don't want to bring them to court because their, 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 their records are so checkered themselves that their testimony could be challenged. We don't know what reality is. We don't know where truth is between the courts and the prisons and the police and the people in the community. Um, and it, it, this is, I mean, what you end with is, in this article in many ways, is the only place to take this is, is we don't have the answers. I mean, we right. need to find the answers how to correct the system, but the, the way the system's rigged, there are no answers, often. Yeah, I mean, that bathroom stall really is in some ways like a, a Schrodinger's cat type of situation. I mean, because so he got, right after he got out on those other charges, him and his girlfriend were shot, and she was shot very badly, and he was shot in the foot, which is what led to this idea of the medical boot. Right. Um which, by the way, I, got, I bought the medical shoe and I got the same kind of Glock that he shot himself with, or a very similar model. And it does fit in the boot, but it doesn't, it, there's no way that you could have been searched and had it in there. It's not like a big thing that would conceal a gun, although it is possible that one fits in there. Um, but yeah, so he then, and it, it, they believed that he, he and his girlfriend were shot, and then they believed, by his cousin, they believed, who's now also deceased, and then they believed that he shot his cousin. And that's why they were picking him up again and brought him in the station in the first place. So he's in the station for a fair amount of time. And they say that he confessed to shooting his cousin, that he confessed to um, that he, he identified his cousin as shooting him, that he tells his girlfriend he's going away for a long time. And none of this is recorded, however. Right. Um, and that he goes into the bathroom and then shoots himself. And then the FIT team, the force investigation team, whose name has changed, post Freddie Gray, but the internal affairs comes and the investigation, they, they never questioned the fact that Mattingly, who had not been allowed to testify in Woodson's case, is the one who wrote the death, um, the, the account of the death. They don't, they never photograph or there's no record of them photographing or testing Mattingly's gun in any way, uh, as they did other officers who were involved. Um, you know, I mean, it's clear what gun it was, but still they did that to every other officer, not to him. Um, there's no way to know who was even in the precinct at that time. One of the officers who moved the gun away from him threw the gloves away. And the investigators didn't ask for a week later what had happened to the gloves. There's no evidence that they secured the crime scene and checked the trash can to see if there were gloves in there, to see what kind of, of there were so many things that seemed to me would be done in a criminal investigation that weren't done in a situation where it's in their, between their own walls, in their own precinct, that they assumed the best from everyone. Um, and then, of course, because of, of the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights, no statements given by an officer for months.
So I, I, Ben, this is a, I mean, you really worked hard on this piece. It's, it's an amazing piece of work. And I think um, it, it, it just is emblematic, as I said earlier, of where we are in this community and many communities around the country. Um, and uh, this week's city paper, this main article on Tyree Woodson's death uh, while in custody of the police, allegedly committed suicide. Um, and Boehner's been on this case for years now, and it's got this huge article out. It's well worth the read. It's very thought-provoking, and maybe in the coming weeks we can talk more about this uh, with many people, along with Boehner. And Boehner, thank you so much. Get the city paper, by the way, folks. It's out today. Pop it out, read it, and check out this article on Boehner. Uh, look forward to when you to, to talking to you some more. And uh, again, congratulations. This is an amazing piece. All right. Thanks a lot, Mark. Mark Steiner's show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunry. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our engineer is Andrea Melton. And our intern is Morgan State senior Michael Dixon. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Please send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. And to podcast The Steiner Show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. For your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.